Hey everyone, I'm Charlotte. I'm Dina, and welcome to The Grim Curriculum. So today uh, that we're recording, we're actually going to be launching our Mary Bell episode, and with that we have some really good news. We're going to be officially posting episodes once a week. That's right. And today we're heading back to the old 1870s. We're going to be talking about the Bender family, also known as the Bloody Benders. Now, if you've never heard of the Bloody Benders, there's still a chance that parts of the story are going to sound a little bit familiar to you. And I know we have gamers who listen to our podcast, so those of you who have played the game Red Dead Redemption 2 may find some of this a little familiar. If you have the chance to play it, I highly suggest you pay a visit to the Aberdeen Pig Farm near Pleasance and meet Bray and Tammy Aberdeen. This has been linked as a Bender-related Easter egg in the game, and I kind of just wanted to include that little fact because I remember that part of the game and it kind of blew my mind. As well, the 2011 movie, uh, The Cabin in the Woods, features a family pretty similar to the Benders, and of course the 2017 film, The Bender, or I guess it's called Bender, uh, that tells their story too. And what a story it is. Seriously, this is going to be a good one. Here we go. The Bender family consisted of four people. John Bender Sr., Elvira Bender, Kate Bender, and John Bender Jr. They were known to have gone by multiple first and last names before moving to Kansas and eventually settled on the last name Bender. One of the things that really makes the Bender family seem more fictional than real is the fact that they basically just came out of nowhere. Little is known about the family's time before they arrived in Kansas, and there are many things about the Bender family that we can only speculate. All four members of the family are shrouded in mystery in their own way, and it's pretty likely that we'll never know the full truth about them. The family was reported to have been a part of the early spiritualist movement in the late 1800s. We want to take a minute to talk about what the spiritualist movement actually was for a few different reasons. One being that it, we feel it gives insight into what kind of people the Benders were and the beliefs that some of them held. It's also incredibly interesting. Spiritualism is a religious movement that stems from the belief that it's possible to continue communicating with someone after they have died. Spiritualists believe that the afterlife is a place where spirits continue to live and evolve and that they can be contacted through various means, usually by a medium. And a medium, according to them, is someone who is ideally born with the gift, however it can be taught. The Catholic and Protestant church leaders associated with spiritualism with witchcraft, while some even compared it to necromancy, they condemned the act and would often publish literature against spiritualistic practices. The scientific community also had its doubts in their practices, which actually led the scientist Pierre Curie, husband of Mary Curie, to advocate for the scientific study of spiritualism due to his interest in it. His wife, not as convinced. And they weren't the only ones. Not long before his death, famous inventor Thomas Edison had even attempted to invent a spirit phone, which would allow the average person to communicate with the spirit and record their voices. In 1920, Edison stated in an interview with American Magazine, I have been at work for some time building an apparatus to see if it is possible for personalities which have left this earth to communicate with us. When asked to explain how it would function, he explained it would not function under any occult, mystifying, mysterious, or weird means employed by the so-called mediums, but by scientific methods. While many believed his desire to build a spirit phone was a joke, it does appear that he was completely serious and his diaries of the time do confirm this. Edison went as far as to theorize that our personalities had a physical form just like our bodies and that they were made of something similar to atoms and that when we died, those pieces could be collected and amplified in order to be communicated with. When we say this stuff is interesting, we mean it. 
If this is something folks want to see covered in the future and learn more, more about, please let us know because we would love to try. Not all well-known figures from that time were as convinced. Uh, Harry Houdini was a huge skeptic, and he was part of a really big campaign to expose mediums that he believed were taking advantage of people. He is quoted as saying, Up to the present time, everything I have investigated has been the result of deluded brains. That was the other thing with spiritualism. Uh, the mediums who were out there that claimed they could communicate with the dead weren't exactly just doing it for charity. They were getting paid big time, and eventually the practice became popular amongst those with money. In Britain, it was considered fashionable to be invited for tea and a table reading, if you were part of the upper and middle class. The spiritualist movement was the most popular during the 1840s to around the 1920s when it fizzled out, although it would resurface again throughout history. Basically, it was really big after both the Civil War and World War I, at this point in history, everyone at least knew someone who had lost a loved one during the wars, and the idea that someone could speak to their loved ones was something that provided comfort to a lot of grieving people. It's just unfortunate that when you have grieving people desperate to communicate with their loved ones, you would often find those looking to take advantage of them for their own personal gain. So let's get to the benders and who they were. One of the things you're going to notice is that a lot of the things that we know about the benders are estimates or guesses. Record keeping in the 1800s wasn't exactly the best of the best, and a lot of what we knew was lost to time or mixed in with town gossip. It might get a little confusing, but we're going to try our best to keep everything laid out as clear as possible. When I was researching this and writing, I seriously felt like all I was missing was a big board with pictures all tied together with red yarn and me screaming at it. But it's also kind of what makes this case so amazing and why I love it so much. The stuff that we do know that is real is absolutely terrifying and has worked its way into pop culture in ways that might surprise you. Alright, so let's get into the benders, or at least what we know of them. They likely came to the United States from Germany, but some reports say that they could have come from the Netherlands too. We do know that John Bender Sr. and Elvira were married, uh, but John Jr. and Kate may have been brother and sister, although some reports do say that they were a couple. John Bender Sr., also known as Pa, was around 60 years old and he was described by those who knew him as a repulsive, hideous brute who was dirty, profane, and ill-tempered. When he spoke what little English he knew, he would say it in a thick German accent. Otherwise, he mostly communicated with grunts and swears. John Sr. arrived in Osage County, Kansas, shortly after it became a state, but before it was fully settled with John Jr. in 1870, they purchased a plot of land. Uh, plot meaning they just kind of showed up and purchased around 160 acres. The land didn't have much on it, and the two men began to construct a home for the Bender family. John Bender Jr., possibly born John Gerbhardt, sounds like he was pretty different from his father. He was most likely born overseas and was around 25 years old during this time. He was described as a tall and slender man who appeared to be social and friendly. It is reported that he would often giggle to himself and laugh at inappropriate times. He was often seen with a Bible in his hands. Overall, he wasn't too disliked by people around him, and he seemed to be friendly enough. Uh, together, the men built what was to become the Bender Home, as well as a general store and inn for travelers. They also added a barn, a corral, and a well. While the cabin would serve a few different purposes, it was a pretty small, square-shaped one-room building. In the room was a large canvas hanging from the wall separating the Bender's living space from their business, but we'll get, more, get to more of that later. Basically, all you need to know is that it's a square cabin, and they would operate the store and inn as well as live in it. 
We'll post some pictures on the uh, socials, but overall, just a simple looking home. Now on to the Bender women. Let's start with Elvira Bender, also known as Ma, and possibly born as Elmira, who was around 55. She was described as a she-devil who was incredibly unfriendly and spoke very little English. Like her husband, she would communicate by grunting more than actually speaking. She is likely to have had as many as 12 children, though that's not confirmed. She was also married many, many times, and it's rumored that a large number of her husbands died under mysterious and violent circumstances. And finally, the Bender family could not have been the Bender family without Kate. Kate Bender, unlike the rest of her family, was fluent in English, considered incredibly attractive, especially for the time, and was pretty friendly to those around her. She was likely Elvira's fifth child. Kate stood out to everyone around her due to the fact that she would have what we would describe now as a very mysterious aura. She claimed she could speak to the dead and would conduct seances. She also claimed to be a healer who could tell the future. Kate is one of the benders who has the most legend surrounding her, just due to her overall demeanor and abilities. After the crimes, a newspaper would report this about her. Kate Bender is about 23 and one of the most infernal hags of the whole nest. Her conduct is related by some of her neighbors as too obscene and terrible to mention. Uh, the media really didn't like her after all of this, for obvious reasons. In 1871, Elvira and Kate Bender joined the men. When they arrived, the Bender family opened their inn and general store that was targeted towards the many people who would travel through the area. At the time, there were a lot of people settling throughout the United States who would need to stock up on supplies and find a safe place to sleep before moving on in the morning. Kate stood out even among spiritualists in the area as being unlike anyone else and would actually even lecture about spiritualism. They called her Professor Miss Kate Bender. Unfortunately, Kate, along with her family, would use her charm to lure as many people to their deaths. Overall, she appeared to be relatively well-liked around uh, to those around her and absolutely entrancing to men who had spent a long time traveling on the road. A newspaper clipping from 1872 reads... Professor Miss Katie Bender can heal all sorts of diseases, can cure blindness, fits, deafness, and all such diseases. Also, deaf and dumbness. Now the Benders were together and had their little storefront and inn set up. Folks would often stop by the shop and pick up food, tobacco, and other supplies with no issue. In fact, lots of people probably stayed at their inn with no problems. Those were the lucky ones, because the Benders had a very dark side, and once they decided someone was going to be a victim of theirs, it didn't really seem like that person stood much of a chance. Bullet holes found in the cabin suggest that there were some people who tried their best to fight back, but it doesn't look like they had much luck. The Benders would usually invite a guest over for dinner, and offer them the seat of honor, especially if they appeared wealthy or prominent. Behind the victim would be the large canvas separating the room. One of the Bender men would stand behind the canvas and hit the man in the head, most likely with a hammer. They would then drag them behind the curtain and kill them, or just throw them down a trapdoor that was under the dinner table. It was also likely that Kate or Elvira would be the one to go down and slit their throats in these cases. And they would do this again, and again, and again. As for motive, they definitely did steal from people. A lot of the people who traveled around were moving all of their belongings to a different part of the country, or they were at least traveling with more... Uh, things to be able to purchase supplies over a long period of time. That being said, they didn't always steal from their victims. This leads a lot of people, including us, to believe that there is a pretty big chance that they may have also just been killing because they legitimately enjoyed it. 
Like we mentioned, there were a fair bit of people traveling through the area at the time. Getting across the country in 1871 was dangerous, even without people like the Bender family around. That's right. The American frontier was just a really dangerous place to be at the time. The Civil War had just ended in 1865, and life wasn't easy. It wasn't uncommon for people to go missing while traveling through the United States at the time. And there were so many ways that you could die. You could get injured on the trail and die of an infection. You could be crushed by a wagon. You could get stuck in dangerous weather. You could just be attacked and killed by someone else while traveling. You could get sick, sick with some kind of newfangled frontier disease. Probably like dysentery or something. <laughs> I mean, look what happened to the to the Donner family. If you don't know anything about them, we're hoping to probably cover them someday in the future, so don't worry. We got you. We really want to talk more about different cases during this time because honestly, there was so much stuff happening at once, or at least around the same time. But yeah, basically, life was hard and people died a lot. So it's understandable that at that time, there were definitely cases where someone would just go missing or die, and people would usually figure it out and kind of accept it. But that being said, not everyone out there had a family looking for them. It didn't take long for victims to start piling up. In 1871, the same year that the Benders set up their store, a man only identified as Jones was discovered in Drum Creek with his skull crushed and his throat slit. In 1872, two more unnamed men were found with the exact same injuries. By late 1872, people began to take notice of all the travelers who had vanished in and around that area. The number of missing person reports started to rise quickly. People started offering rewards, which unfortunately led to vigilante groups catching and arresting the wrong people and then having to release them. Well, hopefully release them. Unfortunately, a lot of innocent people were killed because of the crimes committed by the Benders due to vigilante justice, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, this story does involve a lot of vigilante groups. Now, with a lot of these older cases, records have been lost or may have never been kept to begin with, so you'll notice we don't have the names of a lot of these victims. In fact, very few of them have ever been identified. Two more of the victims that we do know about are George and his 18-month-old daughter, Mary Ann Langcor. The two were traveling from Independence, Kansas to Iowa, where his wife's family lived. They never arrived. The following spring, a man named Dr. William Henry York went looking for them. Dr. York had been a neighbor of theirs and had sold him the horses that they used to travel. The wagon had been found near Fort Scott, Kansas. He was able to identify the wagon as theirs. Dr. York was able to also identify some clothes that were on the wagon as belonging to George and Marianne. On his way home, Dr. York stopped somewhere to get some food and stay the night. Unfortunately, he found himself staying with the Bender family, and he was never seen alive again. Luckily for him, Dr. York, who came from a wealthy and fairly prominent family, was missed pretty quickly. Shortly after he went missing, his brother, Colonel Ed York, went out to look for him. It's reported that Colonel York gathered a large group of men and began to search the homesteads in the area. Of course, Colonel York eventually ended up at the Benders' homestead. He had stayed for dinner and questioned them about his brother's whereabouts. One of the benders suggested that it was possible he had run into some trouble out on the trail, and Colonel York agreed that maybe that could have happened. He left that night unharmed. They didn't just kill everyone, and anyone who showed up at their house. It seems like some planning must have gone into choosing their victims. They didn't seem to act aggressively with him at all. They probably knew better than to attract more attention to themselves than they already had. But that didn't last very long, because a few days later, a screaming woman fled the benders in. She had told people that she had been threatened by Elvira with a knife. 
This then prompted Colonel York to return and question them again. This time, it did not go as well. Um, John Jr. and Kate once again denied that anything was going on, but Elvira snapped. Elvira started screaming in English. Apparently, she started yelling in English about how the woman had cursed her coffee. No one at this point knew that she spoke any English. They either hadn't noticed it through her grunts, or she just never let anyone know, but she showed them two things. One, she was clearly hiding things about herself, and two, she was angry. I guess from what we know, uh, Colonel York left and then planned to either come back when he had more men or more evidence against them. Apparently, Kate offered to use her psychic powers if he returned again alone. Meanwhile, neighboring communities began to look at Osage County when people who had gone missing were found dead in that area. Clearly something was going on and whoever was killing people needed to be stopped. And most people probably thought it was a gang of robbers or something. I don't think anyone could have really imagined that reality would be so much worse. Because of all of this, a meeting was held at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. 75 locals were in attendance, including Colonel York and apparently even the two Bendermen. At the meeting, it was decided that something had to be done. It was announced that all homesteads between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek would be searched. A big group was put together, and they ended up being delayed a few days because of the bad weather. When the group finally showed up at the Bender farm, there was no one there. Almost everything had been removed from the cabin. At this point, it had been days, and the Benders were long, long gone. The team followed some tracks and found their wagon and some starving livestock, but that was it. Rewards were offered, but they were never caught. The group returned and began to search the Bender homestead. What they found was the stuff of absolute nightmares. They smelled a bad odor and it led them to the trap door under the table. They could see and smell blood that had dried and it led into the empty room below. There was more blood soaked into the floor and the soil underneath it. Other than that, the room was empty. They then began to search around more outside. The team noticed some disturbed soil around the garden and began to investigate. Shortly after, the body of Dr. York was discovered lying face down in a shallow grave. He had been bludgeoned to death and his throat was slit. The team then continued to search the area. A newspaper from the time reported afterwards, Over 3,000 people were on the ground and a special train has just arrived filled with people. There is intense excitement all over the country and a firm determination to ferret out the parties engaged in these murders. Originally, looking into this case, one of the things that made it difficult to write about it was the inconsistencies that we found. We mentioned this before, but records got destroyed and sometimes rumor just takes over truth. Because of this, we're not really sure how many bodies were found on their property that day. Some reports say seven, while some say as many as 20. All of the victims, but one, had the same head and throat injuries. It's even reported that some of them may have suffered genital mutilation, but it's difficult at this point to confirm whether that's real or just part of the legend. The other thing that made it really hard to actually figure out how many victims there were was the fact that while Dr. York was found in one piece, not everyone had been as lucky. In fact, so many different body parts were found that they were actually unable to figure out how many bodies they were looking at. A newspaper reported on May 12, 1872. Nearly all of the bodies of the dead are indecently mutilated. It is considered certain that a little girl was thrown alive into the grave with her father as no marks of violence were found on her body. This was unlike anything ever seen before and people were absolutely fascinated by it. A newspaper from 1783 says, The Bender Slaughterhouse, of which everyone has heard of by this time, is now all the talk. 
Yesterday, Sunday, almost everyone who could get a conveyance visited the dark and bloody ground. The people of Labette County blushed to think that such a family as the Benders had ever disgraced their soil, and would willingly blot them and set accomplices, if they had any, out of existence. Another confirmed victim was Benjamin M. Brown. We know about him because a newspaper in 1783 wrote about his body being discovered. It was reported that his head was smashed in and his throat was cut from ear to ear. And he was also entirely naked except for a red handkerchief wrapped around his neck and a silver ring on the pinky finger of his right hand. Like Dr. York, he was buried face down. A man known as... <laughs> sorry. A man known as W.F. McCrady was identified by numerous people who knew him and recognized his body. It was assumed that he was one of the first victims. He was buried in his clothes. Not much else is known about him. Next was a man with the last name McKegsey, who was visiting Kansas to buy land, which likely led the Benders to believe that he had a lot of money with him, which is likely why he was targeted. He was a 29-year-old former soldier who was described as strong and very athletic. His body displayed many wounds that showed that he likely did not go down without a fight. Unfortunately, many of the victims were never identified and will likely never truly know how many people the Benders killed. As far as we know, the Benders never returned to their land and they were never caught. That wasn't to say that there weren't lots of people trying to catch them. After the discoveries made on the Bender land, Kansas Governor Thomas A. Osborne and Senator Alexander York, reportedly the brother of Dr. York, offered many substantial rewards for the capture of the family. The Benders were never caught, but a lot of other people got into some pretty serious trouble over what they did. There were many wrongful arrests and possibly even murders of people suspected to be the Benders. Numerous vigilantes spoke out about finding them and killing them, but the rewards were never collected, which leads us to believe that they weren't actually able to prove that they had killed them. Twelve other men, said to be of ill repute, were also charged as accessories for helping dispose of stolen goods. The Bender home was eventually completely stripped by souvenir hunters, to the point where all that was left was a hole in the ground where the cellar was. True crime fascinated us then too, always has. Just because we have more resources to read and learn about it doesn't mean that humankind hasn't always had a morbid fascination with the dark side of life. They seriously took everything. People wanted mementos of the Bender home, and whether that was a small item from the home or a piece of the cabin wall, they would take it. The Kansas Historical Society currently has a stained knife that was thought to have been taken from their home as well. As for the land itself, in 2020, there was an attempt made to auction the land off. An article says, Approximately 162 acres of land that once belonged to the Bloody Benders is for sale as a part of 15 tracts of land that were put up for auction. And here's the th funny thing. Uh, when we were looking into the auction itself, we had some trouble finding out if it sold or who bought it. I wondered if the person who bought it would want it because it was a lot of land, or if they, if it would be purchased by someone that actually had that true crime fascination. And of course it was. A man named Bob Miller, who is a financial advisor, purchased the land where it was located. Uh, Bob Miller said in an interview with the Kansas Reflector, I bought it because I love history, and I would like to find out where the killings happened. And excitingly enough, he even said, I've never had an acre of land before. Somewhere, somehow, someway, I'm gonna get some kind of expert investigation going there. The whole thing is just so bizarre, and it is one of America's first documented mass murders. Bob actually has a lot of history with the land himself. He grew up hearing stories about the Benders and visiting the land on a regular basis. 
Nearby Cherryvale even had a replica cabin set up and they celebrated Bender Days, and he admits that most of the children he grew up with were fascinated by the Bender stories. It sounds like his goal is to eventually partner with a team of archaeologists to do ground-penetrating uh, radar studies, which could hopefully lead to further excavations. If this happens, there could be a chance that in the following years we could hopefully learn more about the family and their crimes. We could even possibly see further victims being identified. Remember, this happened in the 1870s, there wasn't a lot of technology to figure out who was who, and there wasn't really a way to figure out if there were more bodies on the land without digging further, which they didn't. The museum has three hammers that are displayed in a now hazy looking frame behind bulletproof glass. The case is not allowed to be opened. My only worry right now is Bob Miller showing up there, getting his hands on that case, opening the case, and we're gonna have a horror movie on our hands. Yeah, I've seen The Conjuring. I, I've known about the doll and everything, and I don't know who has heard of like the Dybbuk box, but like... Yeah, I'm not a religious person, but I don't like messing around with things, you know? <laughs> I feel like, Bob, if there's any way, somehow, some way, that you manage to hear this one day, leave the hammers alone. But what actually happened to the Benders? As it stands right now, we just don't know. But that doesn't stop people from coming up with a lot of theories. Some good, some not so good. Here's some of our favorites. And now remember, these are theories, but do you think any of them could be true? There were Bender family sightings everywhere. Often, if two women were traveling together, they would be looked at very suspiciously, especially if they matched the descriptions of Kate and Elvira. The first theory is that they were just found, rounded up, and killed. This likely wasn't the case, as there was so much money to be claimed. If this actually happened and no one ever claimed it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There are a ton of unconfirmed reports of the whole family, or just members of the family, being found and killed. But again, the idea that someone would do that without taking any credit is just really hard to believe. This kind of makes me wonder who these vigilantes were actually killing. Another theory is that they escaped to Mexico or even Canada and lived out their lives. Some say that the journey was just too much for John Sr. and that he died on the way there due to an injury. In 1884, a man matching the description of John Sr. was arrested for a murder where a man was killed with a hammer blow to the head. Unfortunately, before he could be identified and fully questioned, he reportedly attempted to cut off his own foot to escape, and he bled to death. Some people have theories that John Sr. actually ran off without anyone else and stole the money, only to be confronted by the Bender women, which led to him jumping to his death. And speaking of the Bender women, in 1889, two women matching the descriptions of Kate and Elvira were arrested in Michigan for larceny under the names Elmira Monroe and Eliza Davis. It is rumored that they were thought to be benders because someone had recognized them from an old photo of the family. However, it was never confirmed and eventually the ladies were released. Another theory is that John and Kate lived the rest of their lives in Colorado. Graves bearing the names Joseph Bender, 1843 to 1888, and Katie Bender, 1846 to 1917, were found. But census records and further information about the two don't give us too many answers. After all, Bender was considered at the time to be an incredibly popular German name along the same lines as the name Smith in America. There is a side, we just don't know. And unfortunately, there's a pretty big chance that we never will. We can hope that possibly Bob Miller's goals of finding more evidence on the Bender land will lead us to new discoveries, but as far as things go, I guess only time will tell. Wow, so we want to know. What do you think happened to the Benders? And do you think we're ever going to find out? 
We do hear a lot about new DNA evidence leading to discoveries from old cases. I mean, in 2021, one of John Wayne Gacy's victims was identified after nearly 50 years. So could a case as old as the Benders still have new information that we could find? Honestly, we don't know. But I think we can all agree that it would be absolutely fascinating to find out more about what happened. And if we have any listeners in and around Kansas, you should definitely try to visit the museum. If we were closer, we would be going ourselves. Either way, if we end up finding more information or evidence or anything new comes out, we will share it with you in a future episode. We hope you guys really enjoyed this one. We both have a huge fascination with the American frontier history and the many, many crimes that occurred during the time. There are so many stories to tell and so many things that happened that we think shouldn't be forgotten with time. And I, I think we're both looking forward to sharing more of them with you. Next week, because we are now weekly, we will be covering another case that happened a few years after the Benders that in some ways might be even more shocking. So make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. You can also find us on social media. I'm Dina V on Twitch, Dina V Tweets on Twitter, and Dina V IG on Instagram. And I'm Ominous underscore Walrus on Twitter and Ominous Walrus on Instagram. If you really like this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review. Do it. And if you haven't already, be sure to listen to our first two episodes as well. 